I recently finished a book by Erwin McManus called The Artisan's Soul. And in this book, he talks about a painter, uh, an artist, by the name of Phil Hansen. And Phil Hansen was one of the most promising and talented uh, pointillism artists of his day and age. Except there was a problem. At one point, he developed tremors in his hand. Now, this is a problem if you're familiar with what pointillism is. It's a style of painting where you make a series of dots on the canvas. And so when you look up close, you just see a bunch of dots. But when you back away, you see a beautiful image that's on, painted onto the canvas. And this art form requires an incredible amount of precision with your hand. So for Phil Hansen to have these tremors in his hand, it was a serious problem. Uh, it was discovered that the tremors were caused by severe nerve damage that was completely irreparable. There was no surgery that could fix it. He was going to have this for life. And this news sent Phil into a tailspin of self-doubt and fear. He came to the point where he decided to quit art school and give up painting altogether. Just completely going to be done with it. He feared that because of the tremor in his hand, he was not going to be able to, to do what so many pointillists artist had done before him, and that's create a masterpiece. Until one day, a neurologist suggested to him that he, quote, embrace the shake, as he called it. And this advice allowed Phil to see that there could be a way to be creative and walk in his purpose despite his perceived limitations. And let me tell you, this was a way for him to create not just any masterpiece, but to create his masterpiece, something unique. And the result of him taking this advice is probably some of the most unique and out-of-the-box painting that you've ever seen. Uh, Caleb, you want to throw this picture up? Um, so he's doing pointillism with his feet, which up until the time he did this had never been done. And this is probably one of the most tame examples. Um, there's probably some things that uh, would not be appropriate to show in church um, of some of his other work, but quite impressive that he was able to think of these ideas of, of how to still work within his perceived limitations. Let me tell you something. There is an eternal kingdom purpose in each and every one of you. It's a masterpiece, if you will. God says that you are his workmanship. You are a masterpiece. And it requires from you every resource that he's given you. Your money, your time, your possessions, all your talents, abilities. However, if you, like Phil Hansen, did it first, focus on your perceived limitations, you're going to fall short of your potential. You're going to fall short of the masterpiece God intended for you to create. Too often we become ruled by fear. And whenever we hit a setback or doubt or 
some kind of conflict. We get ruled by fear. But today, I believe that God is saying to each one of us, it's time to embrace the shake. It's time to embrace the fact that we do have limitations on our resources, on our money, on our time, our abilities. And it's time we accept these limitations so that we can begin to not just create anyone's masterpiece, we can begin to create our masterpiece that's going to glorify God and advance his kingdom. So we're going to be in Matthew chapter 25 today. If you want to turn there on your Bibles or portable devices and your apps. We're going to be in verses 14 to 30. Um, Like I said, we're in our last week of the series, The Exchange. And we've been looking at Jesus' teachings on money and the kingdom of God. And today we're going to look at a passage that I think is fairly well known. It's a parable uh, of the talents. So let's read together Matthew 25. We're going to start in verse 14 and go down to verse 30. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey. This is Jesus talking. Who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents of money, to another two talents, and to another one talent, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received the five talents went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. So also the one with two talents gained two more. But the man who had received the one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received the five talents brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five talents. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with the two talents also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two talents. See, I've gained two more. His master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. Then the man who had received the one talent came. Master, he said, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you had not sown and gathering where you had not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your talent in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, You wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. Take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. For everyone who has will be given more. And he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Let's pray before we continue. Holy Spirit, um, 
there, there's some stuff that's pretty heavy in this passage, um, some stuff that I think requires us to, to walk in wisdom. And so uh, we just invite you to transform our thinking this morning. We, as we've been doing all morning, we surrender to the work you're doing. We surrender to your transforming efforts in our lives this morning as we understand how to, how to create a masterpiece with our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So um, to give a little bit of context here, Jesus had just been preaching at the temple right before this series of, of red letters, if you have that in your Bible, these parables and this teaching. Um, and as they're leaving Jerusalem for the day and going back to where they were staying, uh, his disciples are trying to get his attention because they're amazed at all of the temple buildings. Uh, now, if you've ever been to Jerusalem, the way they would have been walking over to Bethany, where they usually stayed, it would have given them the most beautiful view of the temple up on the mountain there. There would have been so much gold and, and all sorts of jewels and everything. So uh, the grammar here in the Greek actually implies that the disciples were extremely impressed, and they wanted Jesus to be impressed too. And Jesus' reply is, listen, this is all going to crumble. This isn't going to last. Not one of these stones is going to be left on another, he says at the beginning of chapter 24. None of this is going to last. But, he says, if you're interested in true beauty, if you're actually interested in what a masterpiece looks like, let me tell you how to create a real masterpiece. Let, let me tell you what really counts. Let me teach you how to begin to create something that I find really impressive. Something, a, a, a workmanship in, in your life. So Jesus begins to tell them about the world that he will be sending the disciples into to advance his kingdom and preach the gospel. And he begins to tell them about his second coming. And that one day Jesus is going to return and he's going to ask to see the masterpiece that each person has created. Any artist that's painting uh, anything on canvas, uh, if they're a painter, that is, they have certain materials at their disposal. Correct? And the artist has to use them wisely in order to create whatever the vision is for, for the piece. And they have to use them wisely, just like Jesus wants to show us how we have to use resources in our, wi in our lives wisely in order to create a masterpiece with our life. So this passage shows three principles on how we begin to create this beautiful work of art in each of our lives. So the first one, the masterpiece of your life begins to be created when you steward what you have. This man goes on a journey, the beginning of this parable, and he gives one person five talents, someone else gets two talents, another one gets one talent, and two of them are able to go out and make a profit, and the other one buries it in the ground. Two of them are able to steward their master's resources. The other one doesn't steward the resources. He's afraid of his master. He's afraid of what to do with it. Um, here's the interesting thing we have to understand about stewardship. Uh, 
Stewardship is not about making sure you don't lose something. I think we usually think about stewardship and we equate it to don't spend money. Or spend money only if you really have to. Stewardship is about increase. Stewardship is about growing whatever it is that you're stewarding for someone. Um, It comes down to this phrase in uh, verse number 14, where he says that he entrusted to them his property. The master says, I have something that I own. It's not your resource, it's mine. But I'm going to give it to you, and I'm going to ask that you make it fruitful. That's what stewardship is. In fact, this is the same thing that we're commanded to do as disciples. In John 15, Jesus says that disciples, you know they're disciples if they what? They bear fruit. There's increase. There's abundance. There's growth. That's how you know what a disciple is. So God has entrusted me. He's entrusted you with resources. And the implications here are that you are going to take the resources in your life and you're going to increase them. There's some kind of growth. It even means this, because I find this interesting. Um, You're not just growing it. Notice the, the master here didn't give specific instructions for what to do with the money. He just said, here, you take five, you take two, you take one steward it. I'm entrusting this into your care. They understood that meant be fruitful with this. Make it grow. Treat it as if it was my own. Take ownership of this and make it abundant. How many of you would hire a financial investor, say, I am looking to make some investments financially to grow money, maybe for retirement or, or something like that, or for uh, future uh, school tuition and things like that for children. And you hand the investor a check and you say, I want you to invest my money and see this increase over the next 20 years. And then the investor takes the check, puts it in a drawer, and never cashes it. How many of you would fire that investor instantly and go find someone who knows how to invest money? None of you would keep that investor. You'd be extremely upset. Why? Because the implication with entrusting them with something of yours is that they are going to see it increase. Let's uh, take it out of the realm of money for a second. How many of you with children, uh, you have a babysitter that's going to come over? Okay? raise him? Is that what I just heard? (laughs) Babysitters. I'm not sure if that was from potential babysitters or from parents. Uh, Maybe both. There we go. And you as the parent, give your babysitter three simple instructions. This is the time I would like them to go to bed. This is the food I would like them to eat. These are the TV shows that I approve they watch. Imagine you come home after a wonderful night out with your spouse and the kids are still awake They're eating ice cream, and they're watching a horror movie. (laughs) Do you even pay the babysitter for that night? I don't know. I'd kick them out and say, you don't get anything. Maybe a little harsh, but I'd be angry. Yeah. 
That's true. I am not. I am not a parent yet. But how, how many of you would be upset at that? On the flip side, I know, because I have talked to some of you parents, I know that you don't just love when someone's watching your kids. You love when someone watches your kids, and not only are they in bed on time, they ate the food that you asked that they eat, and they only watch the approved shows, but all of the toys from their playtime with the babysitter have been cleaned up. And the kitchen, all the dishes from dinner with the kids and the babysitter are running in the dishwasher. See, you didn't just ask them to make sure your kids don't die. You ask them to steward your children for a few hours. Take ownership. You see what I'm getting at here? This is what biblical stewardship is. It's not that you're just taking a resource and burying it somewhere in a hole and hunkering down until Jesus gets back. You've got to do something with what he's handed you. That's stewardship. You've been invited to create something. I love it. Like I said, he doesn't tell them what to do with the money. He just says, do it. You get to be creative. That's why this is like creating a masterpiece in your life. What could I do with the gifts, the talents, the resources that God's given to me? Who does that? That's so cool. You could start a business, create some network to care for homeless people, Maybe you feel like you don't have much, which isn't true. We'll get to that in a minute. But you see, you know what? I've got a bunch of neighbors around me, and it seems like their marriages are having enough, a, a rough time, and the family situation's rough. I'm going to volunteer myself to watch their kids and send them out for a night. Amen. Come on. We've, man. Hey, college students in the room, pay attention. <laughs> People want your business. People want your business. Um, use those talents. Come on. Amen. But it's up to you to create what's going to happen. Yes? You, are, you have to be responsible. You have to steward what's happening. The masterpiece of your life begins to be created when you steward what you have. Second, the masterpiece of your life begins to be created when you celebrate what you have. Another verse here. It says that the master gave to them each according to his ability. This same phrase, this is really critical for us. This same phrase, uh, and some, some form of this phrase, each according to his ability, is echoed throughout the New Testament by various writers about the abilities, the possessions, and the giftings that each person has. Look at this, Romans 12, 6. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given us. 1 Corinthians 12, 11. These are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Ephesians 4, 7. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. 1 Peter 4, 10. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Scripture is really clear on this. Our gifts, our talents, our abilities, not only is the stuff not ours, we don't have the same stuff. Some of us have different amounts of the same ability. Some of us have completely different abilities. 
Here's what's critical to being able to celebrate what you have, though. Too often, I become guilty of not focusing on what I have. I'm focusing on what someone else has. And it's usually because I'm not content with what I have. And I begin to say, wait, why do they have that? I didn't get that. How come they have that? Sometimes we kind of disguise it a lot of times in our conversation. And Well, you know, those rich people, in a very condescending way, what we're really saying is, they probably don't deserve that. What we're saying is, I actually deserve it. Comparison kills celebration. Comparison will kill your ability to celebrate what God has given you. How are you going to overcome this? Well, we have to make a shift in our thinking here because the reason we're comparing is that, that we've changed the, the standard of, of what counts. Here, here's what I mean. Um, every person on this planet is loved and valued the same. God values each one of you exactly the same. You are worth the same to him. Your worth is determined by the work of the cross. Jesus, God once and for all, the Father sent Jesus to purchase you. So he paid the same price for every single one of you. That's your worth. No one's worth more or less than the work Jesus did on the cross. That's the standard. That's, that's the standard of what you're actually worth. Okay? But our resources are distributed to us differently. Our talents are distributed to us differently. Our abilities are distributed to us differently. My friend Kelvin says um, that God loves us equally, but he distributes gifts with equity. What's that mean? God, in his work of achieving his purposes on earth through you and through me, has seen it fit to give different amounts of talent, different amounts of money, different amounts of whatever the resource is, you name it, to you and me. Different amounts to every person. Not because he loves different, but because the resources that you've been given are to complete the specific assignment he's given you. You don't have the resources to complete someone else's assignment and purpose on earth, to complete their masterpiece. They don't have the resources to be able to do yours. Do you hear me? He's so creative that he's like, I want to achieve this on earth, and I want to do this on earth, and I'm going to see this happen on earth, and I'm going to see this happen on earth. If we were all Beyonce, we're not getting much done. Just saying. Do you hear what I'm saying? We, in a materialistic society, though, have shifted the filter. We flipped it. We have changed the standard of our worth. Instead of focusing on the work of the cross, we begin to focus on the work of our hands. 
If we're caught in comparison, it's probably because we have shifted the standard and the measure of what we're worth away from Jesus' work and onto what I can do with my stuff. Are you with me? Or what I can do with someone else's stuff. And when that happens, we actually disqualify ourselves and we paralyze ourselves from walking in the purposes of contributing to God's plan. How many of you know that it's impossible to have a camera take a painting? Are you still thinking about it? (laughs) Cameras take pictures, not paintings. But if I've been given a camera and I'm still trying to take paintings, no one's going to think I'm smart. No one's going to think that's a good idea. Right? God, why didn't you give me brushes and paint and canvas? I want to make paintings. I don't want to take photographs. Can we find our value again? We've decided that our value is in, well, I don't want to take photographs. My value is in I want to be a painter. I want to make paintings. That's not our value. That, that has to do with purpose. It has to do with different assignments that God gives different people. What were we surrendering this morning? He's God, not us. He gets to pick the assignment. That is hard for us to hear. That's hard for me to hear. I don't pick the assignment. He does. Uh, I had a a professor in college who shared this story, um, and and he was a bit of a troublemaker in college and really didn't follow the rules, and after college got his life turned around and uh, began to go into ministry before uh, being a professor, and he had a fairly fruitful ministry. And uh, he was at a conference once, and he ran into a classmate from school, and his classmate, furious, looked at him and said, I did everything right, and you did everything wrong. Why is your ministry working and mine's not? And the response from my professor was, I don't know. But if we stop and think about it for a second, based on what we've been learning this morning, I think we do know. You see, uh, my professor realized that the standard and the measure of his worth was not in what he did. So he got set free from trying to create worth based on what he did or what he had available to him, his talents, his gifts, his resources. He shifted the standard back to what actually counted for his value and worth, and that set him free to use the resources at his disposal to create his life's masterpiece. Sadly, this classmate of his that came up to him still didn't understand how much he was worth. And he was still trying to equate his worth to someone else's purpose. Now, as you hear it, you hear how whack that is? It's whack. I never use that word. (laughs) You've, You've seen it here first, folks. Here's my question. Can you focus... Excuse me. Instead of focusing on other people's resources, can we celebrate what we have? Can we recognize what we have has nothing to do with our value? It has everything to do with my unique purpose, your unique purpose. No one else can create the masterpiece that's on your life. Stop trying to create someone else's. 
Like I said, stop trying to use a camera to make a painting. The masterpiece of your life begins to be created when you celebrate what you have. Finally, the masterpiece of your life begins to be created when you are faithful with what you have. As the parable unfolds, two of the servants are found to be faithful. The other one, wicked and lazy. And remember the context that Jesus is giving this parable in. He's talking about his second coming. He's talking about sending his disciples out into the world to proclaim the kingdom and proclaim the gospel. That's the context of this. So keeping that context in mind, him returning, the master returning, to take an account of what his servants have done. Jesus is going to return, and he is going to demand an account from you and from me. Now, when I was growing up, growing up in church, I always heard, I heard that so many times, the Lord is going to ask you to give an account for your life. And I thought that, I always translated that in my head to, that means I can't sin, that means I have to make sure I'm like reading the Bible, that makes I'm following all these rules, right? Anyone figured out yet that is not the, t- the context for giving an account? It has nothing to do with, with morality right now. Giving an account has everything to do with were you faithful? As a songwriter, I get ideas all the time for writing songs, and I have to make a decision to be diligent with each idea I get, to be faithful with each idea I get. I call it like stewarding the song, and and you have to spend time actually being diligent creating it, growing the song, celebrating what it is, being faithful to seeing the process through. Now, There's tons of ideas. Some of them work out. Some of them don't. But if I were to ignore that gift from God, well, you know, I'm not, I'm not Bethel. I'm not Hillsong. You know, I I, I shouldn't, I don't want, I shouldn't be writing songs. Um, No one should sing the songs that I did early on, for sure. But, uh, (laughs) but seriously, though, if I get to heaven, I say, no, but God, you don't understand. I wasn't like a known like musical artist. It, it's okay that I didn't follow through on that idea. That's not the standard he uses to judge and give you an account. He says, no, 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 I, I gave you those ideas. I wanted you to be faithful with them. I wanted to see you develop them into something. See, faithfulness requires that if we get an idea and we don't know how to execute it, we work our butts off to figure out how to make it happen. It's hard work. It's really hard work. It's challenging. I've been living and and sitting with this idea of someday I'm going to have to give an account for my life for probably like the last six to eight months. And it's been messing me up because I'm thinking about everything. My bank account, my budgeting every month, what people I'm spending time with, what things at work am I giving my attention to, what are the the hobbies I'm investing in, who are the people I'm investing in, and thinking about them and taking real stock and saying, I am going to have to answer to God someday for every single one of these areas of my life. Am I comfortable with the answer I'm going to give him? Are you comfortable 
with the answer you're going to give him. This isn't like a scared, like to a fear tactic. I, I want you to hear that you can take your ideas, you can take these dreams, you can take the money that's at your disposal, your gifts, your talents, your abilities. You can take those things seriously. Yes? Are you hearing that? There, I, I can't say it enough. There is a masterpiece, a work of art, God's workmanship in your life that he wants to see created. Do you believe it? Do you hope it's real? Do you hope that you can hope it's real? The other thing with faithfulness is, um, as the disciples were in awe of the opulence of, of the temple buildings, um, Jesus is, is uh, giving us a reminder uh, to, to be really wise when it comes to worldly material possessions. Because material possessions, um, they can impress your heart. And if they begin to impress you, if you begin to become impressed by material wealth, it's going to cloud your ability to focus on the kingdom. It's going to cloud your ability to be faithful because we get distracted. What did it, we talked about last week, the pagans run after all these things. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So I'm not saying be afraid of wealth. I'm saying be wise with wealth. Right? I'm not saying be afraid of your gifts and talents and abilities. I'm saying be wise. Learn how to steward them. Get coached. Get in a, in a river group. If you say, I think I have something that is meaningful in my life, maybe in someone else's, I don't know what to do with it. That's your God-given purpose. You've got to find people that either know what to do. You can Google everything nowadays, people. You can Google it. You can get coaching. You can get discipleship. You can get mentoring. doesn't matter how old or how young you are. God doesn't stop giving ideas. He doesn't stop giving resources. Come on. Come on. If you're out of college and you're in your career already, you can totally have new ideas. Don't let anyone tell you otherwise. You're not supposed to be childish, but you are supposed to be childlike. I never met a child who didn't have an end to their ideas and imagination. Some of the ideas are insane, but they had them. Every art form, I'm going to uh, wrap up this point with this, every art form has its limitations, okay? Painting, for example, it has three primary colors. You can't use a fourth primary color. You are limited to three colors. You're limited to the edges of a canvas. Architects and engineers are limited to gravity. They're limited to building codes. They have to figure out how to work with that. Your faithfulness, giving an account, hear me on this, this is really important. You giving an account is not going to be judged on things outside of your control. Okay, that's extremely important. Stuff happens. Tragedy strikes. God is not holding you accountable for something outside of your control. Are you hearing that? But what he is inviting you into, just like any artist creating a masterpiece is, with the limitations at hand, what can be done? What could, be, what could happen here? What could happen in this space? The masterpiece of your life begins to be created when you are faithful with what you have. Stewardship, 
celebration, faithfulness. I'm just going to close with this. Um, I've been asking God all week as I've been preparing this, Jesus, why did you tell the story and have the guy with one talent be the guy who wasn't faithful? Why not the guy with two talents, or even better, the guy with five talents? And the guy with one talent could be the guy who, like, stuck it out and was faithful. You ever wonder that? Why is it the guy with one talent? I've been asking him all week, and I was getting annoyed in my conversation with him. And then this morning, he said, because everyone at some point in their life feels like the person who got the short end of the stick. See, the point of this parable is that we're all the person with the one talent. You know what a talent is? Here's the thing about the talents. A talent, one talent, is 20 years wages. That's a career's wages for a lot of industries, if you think about it. It's a life's work. No one gets more than one life's work. It's going to seem and feel like at points in your life, everyone has way more than me. This is not cool. How did I get the short end of the stick, God? But I think what God's asking us today is we look at ourselves as the person with the one talent, one life to give. God's asking you this morning, are you going to bury the masterpiece? Or do you think, possibly, you could be one to embrace the shake? Are you going to be like the one who was afraid and shrunk back and just hunkered down until Jesus came back? Hebrews 10.38 says, But my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But I love this. The next verse. But we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed. But to those who have faith and are saved. You. Me. We are the ones who is calling. You use the materials at your disposal. We use the money. We use the talents. We use these resources. Will you not be afraid of what could be? Will you embrace the shake? Take responsibility. Get creative. And create a masterpiece.